first reading is from Exodus 12. Remember that last week we heard that the Israelites who were slaves in the land of Egypt have have gone and with Moses as their leader gone and asked Pharaoh to set them free. And here they are about to leave. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, This month shall mark for you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year for you. Tell the whole congregation of Israel that on the tenth of this month they are to take a lamb for each family, a lamb for each household. If a household is too small for a whole lamb, it shall join its, its closest neighbor. 
in obtaining one. The lamb shall be divided in proportion to the number of people who eat of it. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a year old male. You may take it from the sheep or from the goats. And you shall keep it until the 14th day of this month. Then the whole assembled congregation of Israel shall slaughter it at twilight. They shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and the lentil of the house in which they eat. They shall eat the lamb that same night. And they shall eat it roasted over a fire with unleavened bread and bitter herbs. Do not eat any of it raw, or nor boiled in water, but roasted over the fire with its head and legs and inner organs. You shall let none of it remain until morning. Anything that remains until morning you shall burn. This is how you shall eat it. Your loins girded, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand, and you shall eat it hurriedly. It is the Passover of the Lord. For I will pass through the land of Egypt that night, and I will strike down every firstborn in the land of Egypt, both human and animal. And on all gods of Egypt I will execute judgments. I am the Lord. The blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you live. When I see the blood, I will pass over you, and no plague shall destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. The day shall be of remembrance for you. You shall celebrate it as a festival to the Lord throughout your generations. You shall observe it as a perpetual ordinance. And then Jesus is talking now in the 18th chapter of Matthew. This is right after. Yeah, this is right after Peter comes. It's right before, I'm sorry. Peter comes and says... How many times should I forgive somebody? Seven? Because they were only supposed to do it three. And he says, no. Jesus says, no. Seventy times seven. And Peter drops his teeth, you know. But here, Jesus is talking and he says, if another member of the church sins against you, go and point out the fault when the two of you are alone. If that member listens to you, you have regained that one. But if you are not listened to, take one or two others along with you so that every word may be confirmed by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If the member refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if the offender refuses to listen even to the church, let such a one be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Truly, I tell you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Again, truly, I tell you, if two of you agree on earth about anything you ask, 
it will be done for you by my Father in heaven. Where two or three are gathered in my name, I am there among them. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. One of the best-known Reformed theologians of the 20th century is a man named Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Bonhoeffer was actually ultimately killed in a Nazi camp. He was hung um, for participating in a plot to kill Hitler. And that's always bothered me. Like, he was so passionate about the need to eliminate Hitler And he was so convinced that it was his Christian duty to do that that he was willing to go to a Nazi camp and be killed for it. But before that, as he was a wanted man by the Nazis, he ran something called the Underground Seminary. And so he taught people Christian faith in a sort of private, underground sort of way. And while he was doing that, he wrote a small book called Life Together, in which he described the community of grace, which is what he says the church should be, a community of grace. And he said this, Nothing could be more cruel than the tendencies that consigns another to sin. Nothing could be more cruel than the tenderness that consigns another to sin. But he goes on to say, Nothing could be more compassionate than the severe rebuke that calls a sister or brother from the path of sin. Does that seem odd to you? That a rebuke is what could be compassionate? It's not the way we think of a rebuke. But Bonhoeffer was very clear that a community that allowed one another to go on in sin and not confront that was no community at all. Grace could not really infuse a community that just let sin go without mention. Real community is a place where people know that they are forgiven by God and therefore can forgive one another. We can contrast this with the notion that Scott Peck, who is a contemporary psychologist, talked about in his book, People of the Lie. In that book, he outlines five different kinds of community, the first of which he calls pseudo-community. Pseudo-community is shallow. Pseudo-community is the kind of community where you say, Hey, how are you today? Oh, I'm fine. Well, great. It's good to see you. When you didn't want to say hi, when you're not fine, and when you don't like the person and didn't want to talk to them. That's pseudo-community. Pseudo-community where you can never get beyond the depth of just looking like everything's perfect and nice 
and pleasant. You know those people. You know those people. They have the perfect marriage, the lovely, clean, uncluttered home, beautiful children who are all far above average and never do anything wrong. Even the dog knows how to sit when it's supposed to. Pseudo-community. And I saw some of you in the back there saying, yeah, we got all of that except the dog. I saw that. Christian faith has set up a place for us not to be pseudo-community, a place where we can tell the truth. And it happens right in this worship. where we are called to confess our sins. We understand that it's so important to confess that we say, hey, people, come on, let's confess. And we say a prayer together that is a communal prayer of what we as as humanity do that might be sinful and wrong in the world. And then we get time for silence where we can confess to God our own sins. And then we are reminded and assured of our pardon, of our forgiveness. In Christ Jesus, we are forgiven. And do you know what you all do every single time we say that? You go, Jesus Christ, we are forgiven. Amen. Do you know? Drives me crazy. There are churches that literally and particularly in the Southern Hemisphere dance for hours after they hear in Jesus Christ we are forgiven hooray you're going to cheer louder for the Steelers this afternoon than you did knowing that all your sins are forgiven and then having known your sins are forgiven our worship service sets us up again and says good now you can go to others and forgive them and do you know what you do then you plan where you're going to lunch this afternoon and don't tell me you don't do it I watch you hey we go up to shake hands and you're supposed to say in Jesus Christ you are forgiven and you're supposed to say to me thanks be to God and you know what I say I say hey do you want to go to Applebee's or do you want to go to Cheddar's We're set in our worship to pick up on this, and we miss it every single week. The way to not be fake with one another is to know that we can make mistakes and still be loved. Many of you, maybe even most of you in this room are parents and grandparents. You know that rule. Your kids are right on the walls. And you get angry with them and they get punished. And then if you're Roger Kane, you give them a paintbrush and make them paint over it. And all is forgiven. 
If you held that grudge for the rest of that child's life, think about how they would grow up. Feeling demeaned, feeling small, feeling they could never make a mistake because if they do, they'll never, never, ever be able to move forward. God has given us the gift of forgiveness. Thanks be to God. Say it with me. Jesus, yay. Do you, you go to the C3? Yeah, they would never say that like that, would they? They'd be dance, dancing, there'd be guitars in the back, a little drum. Every once in a while we need that. Now, I love the organ. Don't misunderstand what I'm saying. But in Jesus Christ we are forgiven. Now we're talking. It's the whole center of everything that we believe. And if we truly, truly take it into us in our core, then we can walk with confidence and faith and truth. We can be honest with each other. We can interact in a community of grace where faith where forgiveness has been extended to us and we can extend it to one another. Friday night I went to see theologian Nadia Boltz Weber um, in Charleston. She was amazing. She's always amazing. Nadia Boltz Weber, the first time I met her, had just written her first New York Times bestselling book. She's six feet tall. At that point, she had one side of her head completely shaved. She has tattoos everywhere. She swears like a sailor, and she is the most Lutheran pastor I have ever met in my life. And I lived in Nebraska, which is the land of the Lutherans, so that's telling you something. Nadia Boltz-Weber was asked in a in a Q&A session after her lecture, which, by the way, was entitled How to Forgive A-Holes Even If You Are an A-Hole. Only she didn't edit it. That's the kind of pastor this is. She was asked what she thought the church of the 21st century or the future would become. And... She said something that I found very interesting. First of all, she said she thinks there'll be house churches. I disagree with her on that. I think because of the way the church is thriving in South America, Latin America, and in Africa right now, I think what's going to happen is we're going to shift from being a Western-centered church to being a a Southern Southern Hemisphere-centered church. That will change how things look. And it won't be strange when somebody says, Thanks be to God... In Jesus Christ, you are forgiven when the thanks be to God part comes up that you start dancing and the drums start playing and all the things that our Latin and African brothers and sisters do will happen. But Nadia Boltz Weber said, after this big speech she gave on forgiveness, that she thinks that one of the things that's going to happen to the church in the 21st century is all the trappings of church we have, the money, the buildings, the prestige, it's all going to go away. 
And I just heard some of you sigh. Because it's hard to put your, your head around that going away. But she said, you know, all the things we've talked about tonight, forgiveness, grace, mercy, true community, none of those things rely on those trappings of the church. They rely on our faith. They rely on us being honest and together. They rely on us taking care of one another. They rely on Jesus Christ. I don't know what the church of the future will look like, but I know that the church right now needs to be one of a community of grace where we go deeper than just hi, hello, and can tell each other what's really going on. Where we can share, be honest, and be faithful in forgiveness and grace and mercy. Thanks be to God. Amen.